Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Leviticus 22 and 17, the word of the Lord says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Here's the instruction. You shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves or cattle, as we would say, of the sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall you not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect. Everyone say perfect. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Then he begins to list some of the things that would eliminate that sacrifice. Blind or broken or maimed or having a win or scurvy or scabbed. Ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either, he says, a bullock or a lamb that hath anything superfluous. That's a nice big word. It just means if he's got extra parts, three ears, five legs, you're not offering that one. Or lacking in his parts. He says, that mayest thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture? God says, you're not going to dig around in the corners of your pasture and find something you didn't much want anyway. Bring that to me and think I'm going to be impressed with it. You're not going to find something that didn't have much worth or much value to you and bring that to me and think that somehow I'll be moved by, that's not a sacrifice. He said, you're going to bring me something, bring me something that costs you a little bit. But that's nowhere near about what I'm going to preach today. Because my question is on the other side of the equation this morning. I would pose to you this question. What then does the shepherd do with a blemished lamb? What's he do with one that's got some scars? What's he do with one that's wounded, broken? What's the shepherd do with that one? That's what I'm going to preach about today. If you'll smile, you can be seated. If you're going to be a grump, just remain standing. So we can spot you and know who you are. There's two or three of you just lied right then, but uh, we'll have time at the altar later. Have, have you ever... <clears throat> I mean, now, now, besides Jesus Christ, of course, we'll leave him out of this equation, but beyond him, have you ever met anyone who was perfect? Have you ever met anybody that thought that they, well, no, don't, don't nudge your spouse right now, please. I read an, an essay in a newspaper some years ago that really tickled me. This lady wrote this. It's very important that you keep in mind it was a lady that wrote this story. She wrote about a perfect couple. 
A perfect man married to a perfect woman. They had perfect jobs, lived in a perfect house with a perfect yard, drove perfect cars, had perfect smiles. They were perfect. She said they were driving down the road one Christmas Eve, and up ahead of them in the ditch, they saw the battered remains of a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Apparently Santa had had a blowout and a runner on his sleigh, and he was stranded there on the side of the road. Being perfect people, not wanting all the kiddos to be disappointed, the lady that wrote this article, did I mention it was a lady that wrote this? Okay, that's important. The lady that wrote this article says they pulled over to pick Santa up, and so Santa got in the back of their perfect car with his bag, and they set off down the road at a rather high rate of speed because you got to travel pretty quickly to get to every house in one night. They hit, the lady said, a patch of black ice. Unfortunately, the car went off the road and hit a phone pole, and there was only one survivor of the accident. The lady that wrote the article posed the question, who survived the accident? The lady that wrote the article said it was obviously the woman because everyone knows that Santa and a perfect man are mythical creatures. Seriously. Now, guys, buck up. Because a week later in the paper, a gentleman wrote a response to her article. He said, of course it was the woman. She was driving. That explains the accident. Now, I did not say that. I am merely reporting what was in the newspaper. Seeking to offend everyone in the first couple of moments of the message. (laughs) The humor of, of, of that interaction, I always wondered if that was a husband and wife that wrote those two articles. The humor of, of that interaction aside, the truth is we understand that outside of the work of grace, there is no one who's perfect. And yet it's a fascinating thing that I can look into the pages of Scripture and it talks to us a lot about perfection. In fact, I can make a pretty good case today that perfection is a part of your past, a part of your present, and a part of your future. Hebrews 10, 14 looks backwards and says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever, that's past tense, them that are sanctified. Ephesians 4 looks today and says he's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's right now. And 1 Peter looks forward and says, After you've suffered a little while, he will make you perfect. The scripture looks backwards and says he perfected us. It looks at the church today and says he is perfecting us. And it looks into our glorious future and says we're going to stand there one day perfect before him. We are positionally perfect in our past. We are practically perfect in our present. And we are prophetically perfect in our future. I'm merely telling somebody you need to stop letting the devil beat you up over your yesterdays and look in the mirror and say, you better understand, I am covered in the blood of Christ and the grace of God has made up the difference in my life and he sees me as perfect. But that perfection, that completeness, that wholeness only exists in him. Outside of him, we are anything but perfect. Let me take you down a little road here today. The Old Testament law contained detailed instructions for every important facet of life. 
At Sinai, God unveiled to Moses all the regulations which he would require of Israel. And they touched a wide spectrum of topics. God addressed with Israel everything regarding how they were to live. He gave them guidelines about their work. He gave them guidelines about their diet. He gave them guidelines about their apparel. He told them what to wear, how to live, how to talk, what to do. He, you know, see, here's this thing. God has this little identity crisis. He thinks he's God. And God is not bashful to look at his people and say, since I brought you out of slavery, I don't mind telling you how to live. I'm not going to be ugly. I'm just saying God looks at those folks and say, you may remember you used to be building pyramids in Egypt. You used to be slaves to taskmasters, and I set you free. Now, if I set you free, I will not be bashful to tell you how I want you to live in manners that please me. That's why I'll just tell you, I'm so thankful God set me free from sin that I'm not hurt or offended when he tells me how to live. He He brought me out of bondage, folks. He set me free from my past. If he wants to tell me how to live, I'm so thankful to be set free. It doesn't bother me for him to give me direction. It's just been good to me. He spells out all kinds of penalties for every manner of civil disagreement and crime. I mean, he got so specific. He said, if you've got an ox that is prone to get out of its pen and chase people, and you don't keep it pinned up well, well, then here's the penalty if he gets out and hurts somebody. He touched every facet of life. He dealt with everything they were to be and to do. And he expected Israel to live by these guidelines to the letter. Not the least among God's commandments were those which dealt with their religious practice. I mean, he was intensely specific about what they were to do with everything that would affect their relationship with him. Not just guidelines about their relationship with one another. He was intensely specific about how they were to live in regards to their worship. He, gave, he told them about feasts. He told them about sacrifices. He gave them such detailed instructions for the tabernacle that if we had the capability to access the materials, we could rebuild it today. Because he told them exactly how long and exactly how wide and exactly how tall and how many rooms and what the furniture was and where it went and what kind of skins and what color and what order you layered all that stuff. And here's the thing, God wasn't open to discuss the matter. He thinks he's God. Exodus 25 and 9, he says, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So I'm not not conducting a poll here, he says. I'm not asking for your input. I really don't care if you think this is how it should be. I'm giving you the equation whereby your sins can be dealt with, and I'm not putting that up to a poll online. Now, now please understand, that's not God being a bully. That's God being gracious. That's God saying, I know you don't know how to deal with your sins. I'm going to tell you how to deal with your sins, but you do it my way. I'm so thankful God didn't leave us guessing about how to deal with our sins. Anybody besides me thankful that book is clear about what you're supposed to do to have your sins taken care of? 
I thank God the book says, except you're born again of water and spirit, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. I thank God that Peter said, repent, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Ghost. I'm grateful God gave us instruction about how to deal with our sins. That was God being merciful to us. That's God giving clear direction about how to handle your sin. But he was no less specific about that tabernacle, about what was to be offered there. You can read chapters, chapters in Leviticus. You remember Leviticus, don't you? Remember that? The book that's killed many a New Year's resolution? Remember that one? I think Leviticus has killed more New Year's resolutions than Krispy Kreme. I really do. I think that's the, I think as people get their Genesis and Exodus, then they hit Leviticus and go, maybe I'll do something different. Because Leviticus is detailed instructions. And there are chapters that deal with the sacrifices to be offered in that tabernacle. I mean, there were trespass offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings and free will offerings and offerings of sanctification, the annual offering on the Day of Atonement. It goes on and on. And every one of them had specific guidelines about what was to be offered, how it was to be offered, how it was to be killed, what was to be kept, what's burned, what's given the priest. All the steps of those sacrifices were spelled out, and God expected those things to be followed to the letter. One Of the requirements for most every sacrifice that was offered was that the lamb or the goat or the bullock or the turtle dove or whatever was going to be given had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. This was non-negotiable. God would not take less than the best of the flock. As I said earlier, he said, you're not going to go over in the corner of your pasture and find some deformed lamb that's not going to live long anyway and bring that in and over that. No, I get first dibs. I get the best of what you have. But my question today, well, just let's think about this a minute. Can you imagine the diligence with which a shepherd went to find His sacrifice? I mean, come on, y'all. A shepherd knows his flock. Before he even goes out there to pick one up, he knows of certain ones that do not measure up. He knows there's some out there that aren't good enough. And so he just... (laughs) He's just up there in his tent looking over his Excel spreadsheet. Work with me here. And he's just running down through the sheep. And, and, and he just starts coming up with, he, he knows them. There's, there's, there's a bunch of them he knows aren't going to work. Now, I'm going to call some names out, and in a crowd this large, I am prone to hit your name if I do. This is not a prophetic utterance right now, okay? Please, this is not God calling you out or anything like that, all right? Just, okay. He just starts running through his sheep. He said, oh, yeah, Billy. Okay, if Billy's here, he's being very Christian right now. Thank you. Oh, Billy, man, oh, Lord, no, Billy won't work. Billy's got that one ear that's crooked. Just like his daddy and his grandfather have been that way for three generations. God loved their hearts. It's just, he won't work. Susan. Really? Praise God. 
Susan, no, no, mercy, no. Susan, you know, her eyes aren't the same color, and that one's higher than the other. That ain't going to work. Timmy and Tommy, their brothers, they, they, they know they fight all the time out there in the pasture. They got lumps on their head where they've been butting heads with each other. That would never work. Mary, no, Mary fell a while back. Everybody knew about it. The whole pasture was buzzing about it. It was a very public fall. She still limps. Mary will never work. Her reputation's ruined. That'll never work. Henry, he's got that off hind leg that's short. He limps every place it goes. He just walked down through the flock, and he started eliminating all the ones that aren't good enough, that don't measure up. Your pastor could do it today if he had the microphones. He knows you. He'd walk through, well, that one's got an issue, and that one's got a problem, and that one won't work, and <laughs> my wool's a little thin on that one. <laughs> it's never going to work. I can't. That one's not good enough, and she's got a problem, and I remember she made a mistake, and that one messed up, and he's got an issue, and that, right? But it's not just the sins and the problems and the scars that everybody knows about. Because when he found one that looked good on Sunday, then he'd bring it up next to the tent, and he'd start examining it more closely. He would look for scars from childhood that they covered up when they came to the church. He would look for flaws that weren't as visible as the others. He would pull the wool back and he'd look for damage that others could not see. He'd lift up the hoof to see if it was cracked on the bottom, pull back the lips to see if a tooth was cracked in the back. He would examine that lamb with a level of care that can only be termed consuming. I haven't made a point yet. I'm just about to get to it. Just stay with me. And when he checked that thing out, and when it was perfect, and when there was nothing wrong with that lamb, either visible or invisible, when there were no scars in the hide, when the coat was perfect, and the hooves were intact, and the teeth were right, and everything was perfect from one end of that lamb to the other, for that perfection, it died. My question is, what happens to the one that's not perfect? What happens to the one that doesn't have it all together? What happens to the one that's made some mistakes and has some scars? What happens to the one that had some yesterdays they wish they could relive? What happens to the one that got hurt by somebody years ago and still carries the scar? What happens to somebody who still has issues, who still makes mistakes, who still gets angry, who still has flaws? You ready? About to make my point. The best news I can give you today is that when the shepherd found a scar, he smiled and said, good news, you get to live. Now, I'm sorry, that may not mean much to you if you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. That may not mean much to you if you've never made a mistake. But if you know you came here today with wounds and scars and failures of yesterday, you ought to be rejoicing that the shepherd looks at you and says, you get to live.
a limp. I'm only here today because I've made some mistakes. I'm only here today because I've got some scars. But the shepherd looked at me and said, you're mine today. You'll be mine tomorrow. You'll be mine 10 years from now. I'm never going to get rid of you. So when we come limping into worship and the devil wants to point at us and make fun of our scars, that you ought to look back at the devil and say, that's okay. I know I've got that, but do you understand that's why I'm here? Do you understand that's why I can sing about grace? Do you understand that's why I've got a praise in my heart? Because I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because I'm damaged. I'm not here because I'm perfect. I'm here because he's merciful. I'm not here because I've got it all together. I'm here because God said, I know who you are, but I love you anyway, and you get to stay. No, I, I don't have it all together. See, oh, only they that are sick have need of a physician. If I were perfect, I wouldn't need a Savior. I'd have to die myself. Can you imagine that, that that thing in that lamb that the lamb was most ashamed of was its ticket to life? The, the thing it wanted to hide was the thing the shepherd wanted to uncover. Because he said, you don't understand, sir. If I could just see that scar, then you get to stay. Do you, would you acknowledge with me that before very long, that pasture was full of nothing but sheep that limped? Before very long, that pasture looked like an infirmary. Every sheep had an issue. Every sheep had a scar. It got harder and harder to find one good enough to sacrifice. You see your own calling, brethren. How not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound. Look around this congregation. This is a wonderful congregation. You know what it's made up of? Scarred people. And if you're a guest here and we have created the false impression that we've all got it together, I apologize on behalf of the whole church because we don't have it all together. We're wounded. We're scarred. We got issues. We mess up. We need grace. But it's just we come in this place and celebrate because the shepherd... He wrapped his arms around us and said, I know you're scarred. I know you messed up. I know you're damaged, but I love you anyway. And you get to stay here. And that's why we come every Sunday and worship and celebrate. We limp our way into the church because God has been good to us. It's just so profound how the very thing the enemy wants to beat us up over is the thing we ought to rejoice about. No, we, we, don't, we don't rejoice in sin and we don't sin just so we have a testimony. Paul said it this way, what? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But neither is there any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Just because I've got a scar from yesterday, you don't understand. That's what I celebrate about. That's why I'm here. Now, see, if I knew you better, I'd come get one of you. Aren't you glad I don't know you? Because I could, we could parade you up here. And we could talk about all your scars and all your flaws and all your mistakes. But it is the most beautiful thing, my brother. Sorry about picking on your wool there a minute ago. But it's the most beautiful thing in the world to me that hell tries to wag his finger in your face and say he's not fit to live. And heaven says, no, you got it wrong. He's not fit to kill. It's not that he's not good enough to live. He's not good enough to die because he's got a scar, because he had to be forgiven. I looked at him and said, you're mine today. I'll keep you tomorrow. Welcome to my church. Welcome to the choir. Welcome to the Sunday school. Welcome to everything. You belong here. You're one of mine. I'm telling you today, my heart is overwhelmed that the shepherd looked at this old boy with all of his flaws and said, I love you. I love you. You are mine overwhelmed at that I'm overwhelmed by his mercy see the the process started in the garden of Eden when, when, when the Lord started with a perfect flock that were flawless and yet all of a sudden from the very beginning they were flawed and every man Carries the scar of Adam's sin. It's what Romans said, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. It's an inherited blemish. I got it from my daddy. We have those genetic traits. You know, I've got the little dimple thing in the chin. My grandpa had it. My dad had it. I've got it. My daughter has it. Jeremy, I don't know what happened to you. I'm sorry about that. My daughter was born. As soon as she was delivered, the nurse said, oh, She's got a Kirk Douglas chin. I said, I beg your pardon. She's got a Scott Graham chin. What's wrong with you? She can't deny it. it came from me. I, I, I can't deny the inherited blemish that I got from Adam. It scarred me. Damaged. It's a trait of my natural father. Every baby born down through the Old Testament, was looked over and found to be scarred. Oh, I know the scars were more visible in some than others. It's a lot easier to see the scar in Ahab than it is to see the scar in Elijah. But it was there, every one of them. We make them heroes of the faith, and they were, but they had their issues. They had their damage. Every baby was examined and looked over and found to be scarred. Every baby until one. Until in a stable outside of Bethlehem, there was a baby born whose virgin birth protected him from Adam's scar. And finally laying in the lap of humanity was one perfect lamb. So perfect was he that Satan said, I've got to scar him. I've got to wound him. Turn these stones into bread and thou shalt not live by bread alone. Jump down off the temple and the angels will catch you. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Get thee hence, Satan. And Satan went away with his tail between his legs because Jesus was still perfect. 
Even scripture says of him he did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. In fact, at the end of his life, Pilate brought him in close and examined him. And when he looked him over, he said words that scared hell half to death. I find no fault in him. Now, my dear friends, for that perfection, he died. And then here I came. And for my imperfection, I get to live. Now, I wish it were profound. You get profound next week when your pastor preaches. All I'm telling you is there is a reason we ought to come in this place with rejoicing. I'm not perfect, but he let me live. I'm not perfect, but he let me live. I bring him my mistakes. He gives me his mercy. I bring him my failures, and he hugs me anyway. I bring him my scars, and God says, you don't have to cover that up. I know about it anyway, but that's why you get to be in the church. That's why I love you. That's why I'll keep you. You say that doesn't hardly seem fair. Oh, it's not fair. It's grace. I don't know you today, and I don't know what all the baggage is you carry, and I don't know what your issues are. I just want to assure you, you're surrounded by people with issues. (laughs) Some of us have so many issues, I think we've got a subscription. Come to church on Sunday and get up on Monday and struggle. And that's all right. As long as you come back to church on Wednesday. You just keep struggling. You just keep limping. And you just keep saying, God, I'm in this. I I know I've got some problems, but I thank you for loving me. I thank you for giving me another chance. And I'm going to get over this little by little. I'm going to make it. God, thank you for loving me. Gospel of John gives us one of those moments. They bring him that lady caught in the very act of adultery. They threw her at his feet. They have paraded her through the streets in shame. And they throw her down at the feet of Jesus. And they really just ask one question. Now, Moses says she dies. What do you say? Do we kill her or do we let her live? Allow me just a little latitude here this morning. Jesus kind of looks at them and says, well, um, there's really just one question. Is she perfect? Perfect? No, she's not perfect. Did you not hear what we just said to you? We didn't catch her jaywalking. She broke one of the big ten. We caught her in the act. You got to be kidding me. Is she perfect? No, she's not perfect. She's scarred. Her reputation is ruined. Everybody in the whole pasture knows about what she's done. Well, uh, okay, then that's your answer. If she's not perfect, you can't kill her. Now, if you are looking for somebody to kill, Jesus says, let me direct your attention to the only viable option. Let him 
that is without sin among you. If you're looking for somebody to kill, I'm the only one here that measures up. If you're looking for somebody to slaughter, I'm the only one here that meets the criteria. Because every one of you and her and everybody else has a flaw and you can't kill them if they're damaged. But I stand here today as the unblemished lamb of glory. And if you want to kill somebody, nail me to a tree, but let her live. Folks, all I can tell you is I was at his feet one day with all of my scars and all of my wounds and all of my mistakes and all of my flaws. And Jesus looked at me and said, let him live. Get off his back. Leave him alone. Quit talking about him. Get off social media. Leave him alone. I know he's got a scar, but he's mine. He's mine. He's mine. You may be wounded, but you're mine. You may be blemished, but you're mine. You may have a scar, but you're mine. And Jesus died in my place. I'm overwhelmed at that kind of mercy, folks. I'm overwhelmed at that kind of grace. I'm a debtor to that kind of grace. I'm a debtor to Calvary. I'm a debtor to the work of the cross. I'm a debtor to the fact that when I felt like I deserved death, Jesus said, he's not clean enough to kill. Take me instead. Oh, I could take you through a dozen different accounts of Scripture. I shall not, but it would be so easy. Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree, son. Sheep don't belong up in trees. Get down out of there. I'm going to your house today. Jesus, do you not know what he's done? Yeah, I know. He's scarred, but he gets to live. Yeah, I, I know who you are. You've had five husbands. And the one you've got now is not your husband. There's been five rams in your life, and the one you got now is not yours. I'm trying to do the sheep thing. Stay with me, y'all. But I waited right here at the well for you. I sent the 12 self-righteous guys to town to get Burger King. Because I got more time for one damaged sheep than 12 that don't think they need any help. Yeah, you're mine. Reputation is not too good. That's why you're mine. This day, you will be with me in paradise. Lord, I'm kind of scarred. You don't understand what brought me here, Jesus. I mean, I understand why you love John. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. I get it. I understand why you love him. He's there at the Last Supper with his head on your breast. I mean, yeah, you're... I didn't come here from the Last Supper. I came here from the Court of Appeals. I came here from the prison system. I came here from a lifestyle of debauchery and sin and violence. I don't really don't care. But I'm scarred, I know. That's why you're mine. I could go on and on and on with this. Can you imagine if the shepherd were here today 
I wish the shepherd could preach today. Because the shepherd would walk over in the pasture. And he'd pick up one. See this one? That's Dave. David. Yeah, he's a murderer. Adulterer. Get rid of him. Throw him out. Throw him out. He's a sheep after my own heart. Throw him out? Just because he had a bad season in life? Are you kidding me? He's going to write songs that even on the other side of Calvary, the church is going to sing. Throw him out just because he made a mistake? Throw him out because he's scarred? No. I keep him because he's scarred. This is Pete. Peter. Bombastic. Jumping out of the boat trying to walk on water. Doesn't he know wool shrinks when it gets wet? (laughs) Denied he even knew me. In the most critical moment of my life. Well, throw him out, Jesus. You can't depend on him. That's not how you build a church. Not with people like that. Don't listen to him, Pete. I'm not going to throw you out. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You're going to preach the birthday sermon of the church. You're going to be the very first person to declare the New Testament plan of salvation. Throw him out just because he had a moment of weakness on that night by the fire. Throw him out just because in a moment of tension and pain. and He, he denied it. I'm not going to throw him out for that. I'm going to pick him back up and keep him. Moses killed an Egyptian. Abraham lied about his wife. You go down through Hebrews 11, all the heroes of the faith, and every one of them has a scar. But every one of them has a Savior. Look through the congregation. Why don't you stand with me? I think I'm done. Look through the congregation today, and you would see everybody with a limp, everyone with a scar, everyone with a problem, none of us any better than the other. My testimony may not be like yours, but we know what we all have in common. We dress it up and hide it good on Sunday sometimes. Kind of stiffen our upper lip and walk like we've never done anything wrong. But the shepherd sees. The shepherd knows. But it's not so he can condemn us. It's so he can embrace us.